Thank you for joining us for another episode of CryptoCurrent. Just one quick reminder. CryptoCurrent is a cryptocurrency and blockchain education platform that's bridging the gap between the curious newcomers who are just discovering the space and the thought leaders who are shaping its future. All opinions expressed by Richard Carthon, the CryptoCurrent team, and their guests on this show are exclusively their own opinions. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Richard, the team, and their guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow his financial advice. This show and any other cryptocurrency production is exclusively for informational purposes. Cryptocurrent. I'm Stephen Miller, and you are watching The Aftershock, the show where we bring you the latest and greatest in the world of Web3. Today, as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Richard Carthon, to help connect you with what's going on in the world of Web3. Richard, what's going on with you today? What's up, Steve? I'm doing all right, man. Um, we saw a nice little um, bull rally at the end of last week, which was uh, super encouraging um, leading into this uh, new month of August. And a lot of it was spurred by uh, interest rates being increased again. And what's interesting is that last time they were increased back in June, 75 basis points, just like this last time, we saw um, Bitcoin go from 20,000 up to 23,000. And this time we saw you know, Bitcoin go from 20,000 up to 24,000, Ethereum going from you know, 1,200 up to 1,700. So there is a direct correlation between increasing interest rates and crypto prices going up. So um, interesting to see how that will pan out. But uh, plenty of things to be optimistic about as it relates to the markets. But how are you? How are you doing? You know, man, I'm doing pretty good. I think that your analysis of it's pretty spot on. Uh, the one or two things that I'm a little bit concerned about still are the facts that you look in the NFT market and you see volume extremely down across the board. Uh, but I think that we're going to start to see a recovery here soon. And I think there's a lot of encouraging news coming down the pipeline, which I'm excited to talk about. But for those of you at home that are joining us for the very first time or are a return customer, if you will, um, we appreciate you being here and we want to make sure that you are getting the most up-to-date information that we can possibly give you. And that, of course, comes in these Aftershock episodes every Wednesday, both on YouTube and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. So if you have not yet shared the show with a friend, we would certainly appreciate it if you would. Make sure you're liking the content and keeping up with us. But then also every Monday, we also put out brand new interviews that both Richard and I are appearing on from time to time, where we're introducing you to some of the thought leaders who are shaping the space of Web3. So that's my little pitch to make sure everybody's caught up on when we're putting out brand new stuff. But let's talk about the brand new stuff in the market, shall we? This is our show that we like to call The Aftershock. The Aftershock. So in this week's Aftershock, we have two segments for you. We have the Web3 lightning round and we have our normal last week in the metaverse. This week at the top of the Web3 lightning round, we have news of an ex-Coinbase manager being named among three that who were who arrested on crypto insider trading charges. Uh, this is a very big deal. This actually tra trades back to a report that was put out, I believe in April, that originally listed that there was insider trading going on at Coinbase that was caught through on-chain transactions. And I think that what we're going to ultimately come down and see out of this is that insider trading 
cases are going to be a big focal point for um, not just like legislators, but also in the legal system going forward in crypto. Um, What do you think about this entire situation? Do you think that we're about to see an uptick or is this just going to be um, more of a precedent setting case around what really is crypto insider trading? Option B. I think they're just trying to set the precedent, as you were saying. Uh, This can't continue to happen, uh, especially as it relates to exchanges, especially as it relates to um, Coinbase playing nice with the SEC, but trying to be as compliant as possible. They they are trying to do the right things, report, and, and get a lot of this stuff figured out. But I don't know that it's going to cause the end of it, but at least by having something in place that if it happens in the future, people know the cost benefit of you know what's to come. Whereas right now in the Wild West, of, of all things crypto, people just do it, not really think twice about it, which is pretty much what happened here. So it'll at least start making people think twice about it. Yeah, I think you're pretty spot on with that one. Um, however, in this specific instance, it gives an opportunity for places like Coinbase and other larger institutions to really lay out what their policies are against insider trading and against insider knowledge. Um, we've seen that across the NFT space a little bit over the course of the better part of like the last two or three months, where more and more of these um, specific projects are saying, okay, there are going to be trading embargoes and time periods where you should not be trading. And the teams are respecting it. So I hope that this is an opportunity for Coinbase to reaffirm to their employees when they can and cannot trade and on what knowledge they can and cannot trade. Um, It'll be very interesting to see this one go forward. But let's jump into our next story. And that comes from Kraken. So this one is a little bit more of a sensitive topic. Because again, however you may feel about the international community, um, this has to specifically do with US sanctions against Iran. So Kraken is right now under investigation for allowing Iranian users to trade digital assets, which is a violation of US sanctions on Iran. My question to you is like, how enforceable can this stuff be? Because I feel like we're trying to really get after US institutions for stuff that, especially in the age of VPNs, like it seems really hard to actually crack down on this stuff. What is your read on it? Do you think that we need to be continuing this type of crackdown when it comes to individual exchanges? Or is this something that's just going to naturally be there across time we need to move past? So the challenge with this one is because Kraken is trying to say that they are KYC compliant. That if you're KYCing all of your people, how do you not know? So I think that's where the real challenge comes in. It's because they're trying to be like on the same like tier where you know Coinbase and some of these other exchanges are, where they're trying to check all the boxes, make sure they're super compliant, and you know in the good graces of of all things U.S. Um, that's where this has become a little bit more of a challenge. Now they have more recently gone to that. I believe when they first opened, they were a little bit more lax. And what might have happened is that some of these people might have slipped through the cracks and kept accounts and kept doing things without making them come back in KYC again just to make sure. But again, and this is just me speculating, but I can understand why uh, this is a challenge because with a lot of these exchanges that require KYC, so KYC stands for know your customer. If you know your customer, there's no excuse. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day here, man, this is like AML compliance. That's what they're trying to make sure that is, you know, up, upheld and kept up with. So you want to make sure that 
All these exchanges are AML compliant, so anti-money laundering. So they're working against money laundering. And at the same time, they're also KYCing or knowing your customer across the board. I find this troubling that they weren't on top of it. But in the very same breath, it's really hard for me to think that they didn't know. Or that they, you know, their their chief of technology or their chief of compliance didn't actually have a regular check that could have ensured that like everybody was KYC. Now you also see a number of exchanges that are now starting to get licenses to operate in different countries. Yep. Right. I have a feeling that you're going to start seeing a couple of exchanges that are US based get licenses to operate in countries that may be sanctioned by the US. So what does that mean for them? At that point, are they allowed to do this type of stuff or not? I think that's one of the things that's going to be left up in the air, but it's an interesting case nonetheless to keep your eye on. In our next um, story in the lightning round, this one's one that I am really excited about, Rich. And it's that Wharton's business school, and Wharton is, of course, the big business school um, out of the University of Pennsylvania, has launched a six-week metaverse course. Now, I'm assuming that you're going to be given a certificate of completion after uh, finishing up a course like this. But the fact that we're starting to see more business schools take a positive turn towards crypto-related courses and Web3-related courses at large is super encouraging. Do you have a sense of like, you know, how quickly this is going to catch on across the states? Do you think that our alma mater at Tulane is going to end up adding a metaverse course in the near future? Um, I sure hope so. It'd be really cool. I think they'll start adding more and more Web3 and FinTech type of um, opportunities. And uh, shameless plug, we actually uh, have uh, a cryptocurrent network, a uh, which is focused on, on Tulane or college students who are trying to learn more about all, all things Web3 and FinTech and providing resources for it. And we launched it at Tulane. So uh, there are courses right now that you can take out down at Tulane to learn about metaverse entities, et cetera, et cetera. But that will actually give you accreditation and you walk away with a certificate like Warden's doing. I think this is just the beginning. I think you're going to see more and more of it and Warden's a big name to be doing this. And it also shows how they're trying to continue to be at the forefront of innovation and where the future is headed. And again, Facebook just took a six, uh, sorry, we'll, we'll get to that in a second, but like people are betting big on this future and I'm gonna leave it there. And I think it brings up another really interesting question. It's like, okay, well, at what point do these courses really matter? Right. And I think that this is, a pot like there it's a it's a double-edged sword right like you want to see that schools and higher ed are starting to actually care about web3 but at the same time i know plenty of people who have succeeded so far in the metaverse and nfts and vr and crypto without a college degree so why is it that we all of a sudden need to be credentialing individuals based on their understanding of the metaverse or their understanding of cryptocurrencies at large or digital assets I think it's more of a racket than anything, but we'll see how people actually value this in the hiring game, right? Because the job market dictates. But we'll keep an eye to it and um, definitely keep you updated as to what other colleges start to roll this out across the future. Now, this next story comes from an institution that you should probably be pretty familiar with by now. We brought them up a couple of times in the past, and that is SushiSwap. There was a big scandal with them a little while back, but I believe things have really recovered across the last couple of months. And it really goes to show that it has not just recovered, but it has started to take on a rocket-like trajectory towards 
Cosmos. Yes, we're making rocket chokes here in a bear market. Get used to it. Sushi X Swap is their new cross-chain solution for um, having an automated market maker go across multiple um, blockchains. They've launched it officially through Cosmos Stargate program. Um, I find this super encouraging for the multi-chain future that I believe in, but I'm curious what you make of a multi-chain automated market maker. Because again, this is an exchange, right? It's a decentralized exchange. Do you think it's going to be safe for use in the future? Or do you think that we're just seeing the first of many early experiments in cross-chain exchanging? I think we're seeing the first of these experiments. I think the goal is to make it as safe and secure as possible. When you look at all these other bridges that we reported on earlier in the year, having substantial hacks. Some of the biggest hacks that we've seen this year have come from uh, bridging from one ecosystem to another um, and, and how it's really easy for these hackers to try to go in and expose that. By having a cross-chain AMM, this is way more secure and supposed to be a lot more safe. Uh, doesn't mean that it's necessarily there yet. So I think as they continue to make this more and more secure and make it safe, this is going to be the preferred method instead of having to deal with any bridges. What I find phenomenal about this is the fact that you already have, I believe, seven different networks that are all basically built in from the jump. Okay, so you have, of course, Ethereum is um, represented in this. You have Arbitrum, which is ETH Layer 2. You have BNC Chain, you have Polygon, you have Optimism, you have Phantom, and you have Avalanche. All of them are major networks as it relates to like the broader crypto landscape. And the fact that Cosmos is the ingredient that's like core to all this that enables all of it. And I got to tell you, like that really gets me pumped about a cross-chain slash multi-chain future. And I really do believe that Cosmos is going to end up being the winner in it. Um, There is one other... um, layer zero solution out there that I think people are starting to get a lot more turned on about. And this is, if you've not yet heard about it, a fun reason why you should be following our show because we'll give you these alpha calls early, um, but it's called layer zero, period. Like that's actually the name of the solution. Um, it's worth keeping an eye on in my opinion. I think there's a lot of really promising solutions out there. Some people say po- that Polkadot is another great layer zero, zero solution, but you have to look at adoption. And I think that Cosmos being a very open source platform where you don't have to like lock in a parachain um, makes it a very appealing solution for more products like Sushi X Swap. Um, so I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be a really bright, bright future for the Cosmos ecosystem and Sushi X Swap. But let's jump into our final story. An interesting one at that. Um, Richard, how do you feel about all of these companies that are coming out of the woodwork trying to do massive raises in the middle of a bear market? Just let, let's start there. It says a few things. One, that they need to keep the lights on. And so they need to give themselves a little bit more, more runway so they didn't necessarily, when things were hot, capitalize and make sure that they were um, good to go there. But two, before you see this max exodus of institutional money, um, and even retail money as uh, pockets are getting a lot tighter with increased interest rates, you know, potential inflation, all the other fun stuff. They're trying to get this money before a lot of it dries up. So I don't blame them. Um, but they're also just looking at like, if they can survive this winter and we get onto the other side of it, how did they get there? And so, so I, I think it, it's, it's par for the course. I think we see some other major companies start doing this. 
And as long as they have a good story around why they don't need it to like basically become insolvent, but rather this is going to help them survive and grow like a catapult on the other side of this market, then it's a lot more compelling. The real issue has been that a lot of these companies have been raising money lately um, have been to, hey, we need to keep our lights on. We'll give you really great terms. Please give us money. And I, I get that. But to me, the fact that these companies, especially ones that have already done fundraising prior to this, they all know that they can go out and they can get this money. Right? Mm-hmm. But what I think fewer people in the retail market realize is they would only be thinking that if they knew that the VCs actually successfully pulled their money out before the market went down. So I think it really does paint a picture of how you had, despite it not being called insider trading, I guarantee you, you had a lot of big VC players that were insider trading and were effectively stacking up their capital to be able to um, start investing during a bear market just like this. And they probably all coordinated during the time that we were seeing Do Kwan destroy um, Luna. So I don't know, man. I, I, it really does rub me the wrong way when I think about the way, see, the way that VCs and certain, certain hedge funds, not Richard's hedge fund, by no means Richard's hedge fund, but certain hedge funds um, operate. Like I think it's, it's kind of shady and I don't appreciate it for the future of the market, but they're still an essential part of it. Now, this was us talking all around the concept of current high capital raises. But this raise that we're talking about right now in the Web3 Lightning round has to do with Ledger, the makers of some of the most prominent and well-utilized hardware wallets on the market. Um, as far as cold storage is concerned, they're my wallet of choice. I really love the products that they've put out. And frankly, they're making massive strides in terms of their overall product offering. I think that if you are a Ledger customer, you already feel secure. You already feel like the company is going to be around for a long time to come. And if there's any company out there that you want raising money to continue to secure their um, ecosystem, to continue to offer really high quality solutions to their customers, this is one that you want to see raising right now. Um, Do you pick up any other undertones on this story um, more than I have? Or is this just what it is on the surface? No, I think they're trying to be the go-to cold storage and they're trying to get as much capital in the, in the door so they can keep expanding their arms uh, before we see this next run up. I really don't know a world where they lose. I've, I've thought about it a lot, looking in between like Ledger and Trezor and Keep Key. Like they, they're all good, but I think that Ledger does stand like head and shoulders above the rest. So it's interesting. I certainly hope that they start to, you know, come up with some more creative solutions that are like actual touch screens that allow you to, you know, utilize it a little bit more in a user-friendly way. But I think what they did, even with the S Plus, you know, the most recent hardware release that they did, upgrading on the Nano S, um, was a great evolution of the product. And I think it shows where we're headed in the future. So I'm pumped about it, but that's just my personal take. Let's jump into the metaverse. Top story in the metaverse this past week was what you were talking about earlier. It was Meta reporting an absurd loss, um, $2.8 billion to be precise. And then on top of that, because they weren't done, they wanted the, you know, the icing on top of the cake. They get sued by the FTC for certain monopolistic efforts. Um, God, I hate Meta. 
What do you think of this story? Because I know that you know a little bit more about the FTC suit than I do personally. Um, but I know that $2.8 billion is a lot of money. It is a lot of money. And it also is nothing compared to how much market uh, revenue Facebook, aka Meta, has lost in just the last year. Um, it's almost uh, $700 billion. Yes, $700 billion that they've almost lost in value. But again, as it re- relates to Meta, the, the $2.8 billion loss that they just uh, reported, in the words of Zuckerberg, he basically said, I'm willing to make this sunk cost now um, during you know, bearish times so that when we come on the other side, this is a trillion dollar market maker. Like he is so bullish on the future of the metaverse and what that means uh, that he's, he's really going all in on it. Like, and it, they have so much liquid capital that they can do that. They can take that risk and, you know, make some shareholders not so happy, but he's only got so much time before it needs to start going another direction. So, the other side of it with the FTC, uh, they're trying to say that they're making a monopoly of the metaverse, which uh, it might be a little too early for that. But the fact that they are already trying to get in front of this and say like, hey, you can't lay claim to all of the metaverse before it even comes out. I think it's super aggressive. And I don't know that it will hold up. But because Meta is willing to lose $2.8 billion and is investing as much as they are, when they figure this out and we get on the other side of this, they absolutely could be a monopoly. Like, let's, let's make that very clear. Like, if you don't think Facebook is a current monopoly in a lot of outright ways, um, go check out their, fin- their financials. If you look at companies that have already been building in the metaverse, you know, like the Centraland and Sandbox and some of these others, they're doing okay, but their market share isn't nearly what uh, Meta's is. So you take that same type of talent that they have mixed with the money that they have and the time that they have to keep building this out, they absolutely could create such an amazing experience that it, it becomes the, the monopoly by far. So I, I don't think they're there yet, but it's really interesting to see that the FTC is trying to get in front of it before it even happens. Proactive. The thing that I like most, the thing I like most about the proactive move is just that it goes to show that the FTC is still thinking about emerging markets in a really legitimate way, as opposed to allowing for monopolies to form early on in an emerging markets life cycle, right? That to me is probably the biggest indicator here. And I like it. I'm not opposed to it, especially because anything that gives Mark Zuckerberg trouble, I will, you know, endorse. But that kind of leads into our next story, because I think that what you have going on over at Meta is ultimately going to be one part of the metaverse market. It's a closed metaverse. They want you to use the meta metaverse. They do not want you to use all the other metaverse options that are out there. That's why this is really big news. So there is now officially a number of different Web3 projects that have all teamed up in what they're calling the Open Metaverse Alliance. Um, This is directly flying in the face of closed metaverse concepts like Meta and what they're trying to do. Um, This is a grouping of two that you actually mentioned, Decentraland and Sandbox are included in this grouping, but it also includes the likes of Alien Worlds, Animoca Brands, Dapper Labs, Meta Metaverse, um, Superworld, Upland, Voxels, and Wivity. Um, 
I don't know two of those personally, but I know the rest very well. And I'm glad to see that they're really trying to get on board with this open metaverse concept. They want to see NFTs that are used across a number of different metaverses. They want to see a number of different metaverses come together and offer product as one huge unit for the global benefit. Um, I'm encouraged by it. I think it's a big positive move. And frankly, if it gains enough traction and it gains enough momentum, that's when you're going to see Meta have to actually pivot and join an open metaverse concept, which I don't think it originally wants to do. Um, what is your read on it? Do you think that ultimately we're going to see more join this open metaverse alliance or is it potentially going to be too little too late? I think this is genius because when you look at them being proactive with allowing people to go and flow in and out of these different metaverses, the more people that join this alliance, the more market share, more opportunity you have to pull in people from different metaverses. When you are completely closed off, you have to appeal to everyone all the time. And that's a, that's a huge hurdle. With this, you don't have to appeal to everyone all the time. You've got to be really good at what you're doing. And by having this alliance, other people can come into your ecosystem, enjoy it, and then also invite other people to go check out other stuff and you know have a lot more flexibility with the path to growth. So I like this a lot. I think this is a great move. And, and I think it's, it's going to get a lot bigger. Unless they close it off. Like that also could be a thing where they like get to a point where they feel really good about all the ecosystems and they say, like, hey, sorry, you can't join our alliance. So I think for all those who are looking to join, they should probably do it sooner than later. Cause like I do think it gets to a point where they eventually cut it off. Look, I think the one big thing that comes out of this is like you still gotta look at the other players that are not listed that have already been a very large advocate for open metaverses. Um I'm personally super encouraged by it. I think that we're going to see a lot of really positive development come from it. And Animoca Brands is probably the bigger teller in that to me. You know, all of those different projects have a ton of capital, but Animoca has been throwing so much money at metaverse and NFT projects that I have a feeling that that's, a, that's the indicator that you want to see is that they're behind it. But let's jump into this next story. And this comes from the One Of platform. They're doing a lot of really unique NFTs with um, celebrities and athletes and musicians. And on their platform, you know, each of those individuals gets the opportunity to distribute unique NFTs. And that platform just went out and raised $8.4 million and added backing from American Express. What I find super interesting about this story, Rich, is the Amex inclusion because I don't think I've seen Amex involved in too many fundraises with different crypto-related projects. But this, to me, for one of the credit cards that is very, very well-reputed for its rewards program, it seems to me like this is them trying to get their way in so that they can offer NFT-based rewards to their customers. Correct read, or am I speculating too hard? No, I think it's correct read. I mean, the fact that they are directly investing into this and... They now have a platform whenever they want to make some sort of NFT play or NFT reward system. Uh, they already get aligned with a platform to do that. I think that's really cool. And, and shout out to one of NFT. Like, great job with convincing American Express, a really, really hard Web2 company to come into the Web3 space. There's plenty of other, okay, plenty of other options they could have done. But like, this is really, really cool. Yep. And they're a very legit platform. Um, one of, if you're not familiar, 
is really worth looking into. They're doing some really incredible stuff out there and their team is strong. Um, we got the chance to listen to a couple of them at Consensus this year. And I really respect what they're doing. They're building a very strong platform. And I look forward to seeing what comes of it. Now for another interesting development in the world of funding smaller projects, um, ApeCoin DAO. Yes, that ApeCoin DAO has officially voted to fund a Bored Ape news site, allocating $150,000 of ApeCoin for it to do so. I don't know how I feel about this. I, I really don't, Rich. Like this is one of those stories where it's like, oh, great. Like we're watching the board ape ecosystem expand again, but I think it's really interesting because it's specifically targeting the niche of the NFT space and the news that surrounds board ape. Not so much that they want to focus on broader crypto and Web three, but more so talk about board ape projects and also talk about like market movement around NFTs and metaverse related projects. I think that the really troubling thing about this is that it's going to immediately, just because of Board Ape's size, it's going to cannibalize a lot of the other small startup news agencies and media outlets that are specifically targeting NFTs. And that sucks for them because they don't have that type of funding. A lot of them are really, you know, grassroots funded. I'm not going to call out any in particular, but I know of three off the top of my head that I think absolutely suffer by this news. Because the second that they get um, rolled out, they have an automatic audience of tens of thousands of people and can immediately pick up the attention of all those users. And they also have Gaio Siri on the back end of Board Ape, who I guarantee you will end up offering some bit of advice or advisory to this upcoming news site. So out of curiosity, despite the fact that I just tore that entire story open for everybody to understand... How do you view it? Do you think that they're going to be as competitive as I'm laying out here? Or do you think this is going to be something that's going to take a lot more time? Building a successful news site, it takes time. And usually the way that you get it up to a point of prominence is through virality or through throwing a lot of money at it. And what do you know? The board apes have both. So do I think this easily could come in and dominate, especially during a bear market? especially where a lot of the attention always kind of flows back to the board eight community. And now they're going to be providing a bunch of NFT, quote unquote, news and alpha potentially that kind of funnels back into their ecosystem. And then now they can also like, hey, if you really want to get exposure, here's why you need to come to us first and like let us know so that we can then tell the world. I mean, I, I see where this is going. Uh, now, do I think they immediately get there? I don't know that they get there immediately. Do I think they ultimately get there? Probably. I think if there's one thing that is, I mean, it may be hot take territory, so like, bear with me here. But this may be the first look at like how even the NFT space can become segmented for things like media outlets and news. Because if this is really more meant to focus in on board ape related news and reporting on overall market trends and updates and things like that to provide a service to the board ape community it means that it is a much more spe like specified um specialized news source which could in theory open up the door to having news sites that are really specific to like the metaverse trends and looking at the larger ecosystems like news as it relates to Decentraland and Sandbox and Alien Worlds and Wilder World 
And then there could be a news outlet that's really focused on NFT art, like talking about developments within art blocks and GM studios and things like that. That to me is a brighter future than the dystopian one where Bored Ape rules everything. And yeah, I'm, I'm going there. Like, I think that would be a dystopian Orwellian future. Uh, but we're going to have to see how this one plays out, of course, over time. Um, but it's interesting to watch nonetheless. Now, for our final story in Last Week in the Metaverse, it's a homer pick. Um, because honestly, we've had a lot of really great experiences talking with Zeneca33, aka Roy, on this channel. He's been in a couple interviews with us across the past. Um, if you would like to go ch check out some of those interviews, it really highlights what he's been doing with Zen Academy. And that is what this story is. Um, Zen Academy is officially celebrating its first year anniversary on Discord. And if you go and check out the Zen Academy YouTube channel after you're done watching this video and all of our other videos, you can also pick up on some of his more recent content where he's giving away passes to Zen Academy, which of course is a um, Ethereum NFT that grants you access to the Discord server. And Right now, I think the value of those is right around 0.3 or 0.35 ETH per Zen Academy pass. Um, so it's a great thing to get your hands on, not only for education, but for the value. Um, I personally think it's probably one of the most undervalued NFTs on the market right now. Um, it's a great buy, and there is nothing better than investing in yourself at the end of the day. And that's what you do when you get a Zen Academy pass, is you are making an investment in your educational future in NFTs. So um, we wanted to just take a second, give a quick tip of the cap to our friend Zeneca33, um, on the first year anniversary of Zen Academy and Discord. So big congrats to you, Roy. Um, really appreciate you coming on our show. We hope to have you back soon. Um, any thoughts and parting words for the folks over at Zen Academy, Rich? Uh, keep crushing it. That's it. Building a really good community over there and speaking to people. So two things. I'm uh, really passionate about education and providing value back to people. So keep doing it. Yeah, no question. I think that the parting note that I want to leave everybody with this week as we close out the episode is that while you look forward to different projects right now, whether they are ERC-20s, um, other coins or other ecosystems, or even just NFT projects, the truth is, is the big winners really do have phenomenal teams. And to shout out another friend of mine in the space who's always throwing this out there, and I happen to completely subscribe to the ideology, the people are the alpha right? That is the truth behind the scenes. Like if you're looking for strong projects, look for strong people and strong teams that have a history of executing. Um, I'm personally really excited about projects like Zen Academy that have that going on. And those are the ones that I'm targeting buying right now during the bear market, because I know that they're going to surge back into prominence as soon as we start to get some more volume and money back into the space. Um, so that's a little tip for you at home. But we appreciate you uh, showing up today and taking another gander at the Aftershock with us. It's been a lot of fun getting the chance to catch you up on what's going on with Web3 this week. Um, but what else is going on with CryptoCurrent this week, Rich? Who do we have on the interviews? So we had Christophe uh, Lazout, who is the uh, co-founder of Request Finance. Um, they found a really cool way to do seamless Web3 payments and have like a really cool like experience through their platform. Um, he has a ton of experience. He's been in the space uh, for like the last five years or so. Um, and um, highly recommend just going and, and checking out what they got going on over at Request. Yep. It's a really interesting platform. We hope that they have a lot of good fortune into the next bear market and be not into the next bear market, into the next bull market and beyond. Yeah. I hope we, I, you know what? I actually do hope they have good fortune into the next bear market and beyond too. Cause like that means that they're at least going to be around for another six years. Yes. So that's how you turn a negative into a positive, I guess. 
But we just want you to know at home, we appreciate you. If you found a certain piece of this show really interesting or you want to ask us a question about what we spoke about, please feel free to get at us in the comments over on YouTube or you can tweet at us. You can find me at Steve Miller underscore PHX. You'd find Richard at Richard Carthon. And we will see you next week for another edition of the Aftershock. But until then, we hope that you stay cryptocurrent. Catch you later. Bye.